God is good. And all the time. Yes, I like God very much. God is a nice person. But he really is, you know. My public testimony always is God has never done me anything wrong. Never. And so I clear God's name of any wrongdoing in my life. All my problems I have brought on myself, very skillfully and very sadly. But God has never done me anything wrong. I have a question which I will attempt to answer. It's just one, and one is enough for now. But let me pray. Father in heaven, in James chapter 1, verse 5, the Bible says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. I lack that wisdom, Father. Give it to me now. Keep your word. And grant me that wisdom not for my sake, but for your sake, that what I say may enlighten those listening. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The question is, what about Bible study with that partner for them to be baptized if they want to? Clearly, I had made some comments about not being unequally yoked. Are you following me? You might have remembered when I said that. In my very first presentation on Sabbath morning, I said, uh, get out of the way. And I said, get things out of your life like that relationship God does not recognize. And so this may have been based on that. And I said something similar subsequent to that. When God tells you to do something, just do it. When he tells you do not do something, just don't do it. Don't reason around what God has said. If you read Exodus 25, all the way down to 40, counting in inclusively the 16 chapters, detail after detail after detail about the construction of the tabernacle and all its furnishings, read those 16 chapters, Moses could not change one item. Exodus, uh, Genesis chapter 6 and 7, God gave Noah instructions for the building of the ark and for the inhabiting of the ark. Noah could not change one detail. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? We just accept it because God said so. Go to Genesis 1. Can't take too long. It's already five minutes to eight. I'll go a little beyond 8.30. I hope you don't mind. All right. <laughs> okay. Genesis 1. Let's read from verse 3. We're answering a question about fellowship of light with darkness. You know it without looking, really. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Now listen carefully. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Now look at verse 2. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Verse 2 tells us the earth was wrapped in darkness. Verse 3 says, God said, let there be light. The light came, and God saw the light, that it was good. But we have light and darkness. Which one did God proclaim to be good? What did he say about the darkness? Nothing. Did he see the darkness? He said nothing. Did he see the light? What did he say? 
Good. Now, what else did God do? And God divided the light from the darkness. What is God saying to us in that creation event? Before you answer, all of creation physical contains spiritual lessons. That's why Christ taught so much in parables. It was he who put the lessons in creation. Are you following me? It was Christ, the creator. Now, and God divided the light from the darkness. This is where Paul is quoting from. What does that tell you in creation? God has never desired that light and darkness come on. That's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're not. All I can give you is, thus saith the Lord. When obeying God, say yes or no. Jesus said, he that is not with me is against me. Don't amend and editorialize and fix and send recommendations to God. God does not need my recommendations at all. The commandments came from up down. No commandment goes from down up. Are you with me? They came from up down without any involvement from humanity. When God says don't do it, the wisest decision you can make is to not do it even if you do not understand why God tells you don't do it. Now parents, you have that experience with your children. There are times you tell them don't do this or that and they do not understand. But what do you expect? Obedience. Enough of that. Let me turn this thing off. You see, when a person has a heart to obey, you don't have to talk long. You didn't hear what I said. When someone has a heart to obey, you do not have to talk long. The person's convicted and takes the appropriate action that puts a smile on God's face. But sometimes we have to argue when Samson saw a Philistine woman that he liked. The parents said, Samson, my son, can't you find an Israelite woman? Why are you so taken up with this woman? You know what Samson said? She pleaseth me well. <laughs> All right, our subject for this evening, another John the Baptist. What did I say? Another John the Baptist. Here comes a quiz. Let me see who is the most, in, who has the strongest memory. Very first presentation, what was the title? Get out of the way. That's fair. Second one, coming and going. Third, government by the people. Fourth, if you say so, fifth. That was last night and tonight another John the Baptist of course I believe you know what I'm about to ask you if you can turn these things off if you're not using them but if you are just turn them down whether here or online because the fact that you're online doesn't mean God's holiness is reduced zoom does not make God less holy one person agreed with me let me say it again Facebook or uh, whatever, YouTube and Zoom, do not make God less holy. God is God. Regardless of the medium by which we listen to his word, God is God. And so we want to preserve reverence, and he will be pleased. And when God is pleased, he blesses mightily. When he's angry, you can fill in the blanks. 
Favor number two, while I'm speaking, pray for me. All I want you to say is, Lord, put your words in that man's mouth. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 9, Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. The Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. And that's what I want. And favor number three, think as you listen. And as you think, make decisions. Don't wait for the conclusion of the message to make a decision. As something hits you, make a choice. Are you with me? As some, you see, something may hit you within five minutes. Something may hit her within 15. Something may hit him within 25. When you're hit by truth, make a choice. Don't wait for the benediction. As bowed, eyes closed. Dear God, we thank you for bringing us through this day so far. Father, it is the middle of the week which we call hump day. But God, as you brought us to this point, we believe you'll take us further. Now, God, <clears throat> we commit ourselves to you. Cleanse us because you cannot frequent and fellowship with sin. Cleanse us, Father. That's why Christ shed his blood. With the cleansing, give us power to avoid what we did that offended you. We want more than forgiveness, Father. We want victory. Now, God, I humble myself before you, and I ask you to use me as you see fit. Whisper in my ear, say this, or don't say that. Let the angels protect all of us as we worship wherever we are around this world and in this building. Father, let hearts respond to the truth tonight, I pray. For those who are sick, place your healing hand upon them, Father. And if you do not heal completely, give significant improvement. Bless the visitors in a very special way, Father, that they may want to come back and fellowship with us again. And a sweet blessing on all the children who are listening. Wherever people are connecting now around the world, dear God, you know what is stressing them and bothering them. They smile on the face but terror in the heart. Respond, dear God, and bring them relief. Bless this government and all nations represented by those watching, I pray. In Jesus' name, let God's people say, Amen and Amen. Go with me to Matthew 3. Matthew 3 is 5 after 8. We read from verse 1. Matthew 3, reading from verse 1. In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, What? The voice of one crying in the wilderness, what? Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. What is the term or the title we give to John the Baptist with respect to Christ? The forerunner. He was to go ahead and prepare the way for Christ. And so as he stood on the banks of Jordan in John 1.29, he could say to the multitude, Behold the Lamb of God, finish it for me, which taketh away the sins of the world. That's the one I've come to prepare the way for. That's the one. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Behold the Lamb of God. He was a preparer of the way 
for the Savior. Let's go now to Romans chapter 7. We've looked at Brother John the Baptist. He was, by the way, he was a cousin of Jesus. And he was older than Christ by six months. Because Mary and Elizabeth were cousins. Are you with me? Romans 7. We'll read from verse 7. <clears throat> Our subject, what? Another John the Baptist. Romans 7, verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? What? God forbid. Stop. There is nothing wrong with God's law. God forbid is God's way of saying absolutely not. Look at the question again. Is the law sin? No. Then do it. If the law is not sin and you obey the law, what are you practicing? Righteousness. He got it. Did you get it? All right, let me try it again. <clears throat> You've got to think. It's a beautiful thing when you think. Then the Spirit reveals things to you. Listen to the words microscopically. Is the law sin? God forbid. In other words, it is absolutely not sin. If the law of God is not sin, in keeping it, you're not sinning. What are you doing? Practicing righteousness. Now, let me go down the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Is that sin? What is it? Righteous. Mm -hmm. Don't hesitate. It's righteousness. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Is that sin? What is it? Mm -hmm. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. What is that? Righteousness. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. What is that? Righteousness. It is not sin. The only thing we are to avoid is sin. And if the fourth commandment is not sin, why are you avoiding it? If you don't know what the fourth commandment is, I mean the one that said, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. That is not sin. Because the law is not sin. We are to avoid sin, not righteousness. Let's read 7 again. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said what? Thou shalt not covet. Pause. Let's think now. Paul is saying, I had not known lust. What is the next word? Except. What does except mean? I had not known lust except the only way I knew lust was because the commandment said, what? Thou shalt not. That's the only way, says Paul. If the commandment hadn't said that, there would have been no other way for me to know that lust is sin. I had not known lust except. In other words, God has one designated method of enlightenment as to what sin is, and that method is his law. He said, I had not known the word known. Now, when you know something, you become aware of something. Are you with me? 
And something connected to knowing is something called conviction. A convicted person realizes something is not right or something is right. Now catch this very carefully. The law of God not only tells us what is sin, the law of God is God's designated way to convict us that we're wrong or we're sinful and because we are sinful we need finish my words a savior in other words what's our subject another john the baptist what did john the baptist do for jesus prepare the way how do you realize you need jesus the law of god reveals my true condition and lets me know i need a savior so in that sense it prepares me for the fact that i need that man here's the law of god it's a mirror ladies you know what a mirror is men you do too i looked in one before i left it didn't fix me up any better but i still looked at it you look into a mirror and you see a pimple do you take the mirror and start digging out the pimple you go to the drugstore and you get whatever you get then you get rid of the zit the mirror has informed you you need help with this Or there's something in your nose. You pluck it out with a tissue. The mirror has informed you, don't go out in public looking like that. You'll ruin someone's breakfast. Are you following me? The law of God informs us something is wrong with you from head to foot. And the only person who can fix it is not me, says the law. It is him. It is Christ. Now he can fix it because his law is precisely consistent. His life is precisely consistent with my principles, says the law. His life is a perfect reflection of me. In other words, whatever the law demands, Christ has fulfilled. The law is not an instrument of salvation. The law is a way of life for those who've come to Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Now the devil knows that. The law is something else. Let me deal with two things. Let me pray again. Father, as I continue on a subject Satan hates, give me simple language. Defend me from the enemy, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, John 14, 15. What does that say? Somebody. If he, I'll have to tell you. Keep quiet. But This guy has all the answers. Must be a Barbadian. Okay. The Bible says, if you love me, well, keep my commandments. Now, what other way can we love God? Now, keep my commandments is obedience. What other way does the Bible give us to love God? No other way. God bless you. No other way. There is one way to show love for God. Tell me what that is. Obedience to his commandments. Now, the devil knows that. In order then for the devil to remove your love for God from him, he has to get rid of the only method whereby you can show love for God. What's that method? Obedience to the law of God. 
You're looking at me as though you're saying, say that again. Let me say it again. There is one biblically given way to love God. What's that? Obey him if you... Well, let's go to the Bible. Go to John 14, 15. What's our subject? Another John the Baptist. And that's the law of God. As John prepared the way for Jesus, the Lord prepares the way for us to realize we need a Savior. Remove that law, no one will fill a need for Jesus Christ. Are you hearing me? Remove the law and no one will fill a need for a Savior. And the devil knows that. John 14, let's read verse 15. Are you there? Nice and loud. If you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. Stop. Is that the same thing as John 14, 15? Yes, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, not he that says, I love you. He that obeys me. There are a lot of Christians who like to feel good in church. They come to church to feel good. The religion of Christ does not stress feeling good. It stresses feeling confident in what Christ can do for you. Because the Bible says, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus, come on, shall suffer persecution. The Bible says, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you. That's what the Bible says. The moment you come to Christ, you have declared war on Satan. And the last thing he'll do for you is make you feel good. Feeling good is not the heart and soul of a relationship with Christ. Because you can feel good without Christ. Just smoke some marijuana. Or ganja, whatever you call it, or smoke some broccoli. And you might feel good. It's not feeling good. It's just being one with Christ through heartfelt obedience. If you love me, keep my commandments whether you feel good or not. Do you think John the Baptist felt good in prison? Knowing he was about to lose his head? Do you think Jesus Christ felt good in Gethsemane? Three times he prayed to the Father, get me out! You think Paul felt good even though he sang in prison? You think Peter felt good when he was arrested? Mm -mm. Religion isn't feeling good. That's popular. Come to church, feel good, and you leave emotionally charged, and then you have an emotional drop. What Christ offers is a relationship with him that has very little, if any, to do with how you feel. When the Bible says, thou shalt not kill, your feelings have nothing to do with it. Even if you feel like killing your mother-in-law, don't do it. Are you with me? <laughs> All mothers-in-law, God bless you. <laughs> People are always picking on mothers-in-law. Now, and so the law of God is the means whereby we show love for him. Let's read verse 21 again of John 14. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself unto him. Judah saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it? that thou will manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world. Jesus answered and said unto him, what? If a man love me, he will... Now, three times we've seen that. Where was the first time? Where was the first time? John 14, 15. Where was the second time? Verse 21. Where's the third time? 
Verse 23, and there are other instances. But the Bible says in the mouth of two, come on, or three witnesses, every word shall be established. And you're supposed to tell me, slow down, but you're not telling me. The only way to show obedience to God, to show love to God, is to obey him. Go to Luke 6. Luke 6, quickly. Luke 6. Read verse 46 of Luke 6. Do you have Luke 6, 46? Nice and loud, King James Version. What does that say? And why call ye me what? Lord, Lord, come on, and do, come on, come on, yes. Why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, and refuse to keep the Sabbath, even though you've seen it clearly? The third commandment says, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Christ is asking you, why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, and you will not do what I ask? Listen to me. This may sound extreme, but it is true, biblically true. There is one thing God requires of you. Tell me what it is. Obedience. It covers everything. I'm sure you'll agree, if Adam had only obeyed, there would be no hospitals. No bombings. No wars, no graveyards, no divorce, no mental institutions, no drug addicts, no men who want to be women and women who want to be men. If Adam had only obeyed. It is so simple, I marvel sometimes how people complicate the message of the gospel. Disobedience. When you converted, you simply converted from rebellion to obedience. Justification by faith is obedience by faith. Righteousness is obedience to God's commands. Go to Deuteronomy 6, read verse 25. Deuteronomy 6, verse 25, read nice, loud, and clear. I thank my friends online, wherever you are, thank you for staying with us. God bless you, and I really mean it, God bless you. Sometimes I get emails and WhatsApp texts, and I am reminded that there are people all over the world listening and watching and enjoying the Word of God. And wherever you are, God bless you for loving His Word. What book did I say? What chapter? 6. What verse? 25. Nice, loud, and clear. What does that say? And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he hath commanded us. What shall be our righteousness? Obedience to the law of God. Let me add, through the power of Christ. The law of God is God's chosen means to bring someone to the place where he, he or she recognizes, I need a savior. I need help. The Bible says in Psalm 19 verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. Converting the soul. Now what does perfect mean? Can you improve something that's perfect? I don't hesitate. Yes or no? No. The moment you change it, it wasn't perfect. Something perfect cannot 
be changed. Of course, most of the Christian world behave as though they changed God's law. But thinking you did something is not the same thing as actually doing it. No human being can change God's law. The human being can change his or her behavior towards God's law. But you cannot change God's law. You can just change your attitude towards God. The law of the Lord is perfect. Now, if the law is perfect, and the law is the whole duty of man, does the Bible say that? Let's find out where. Ecclesiastes 12, let's read verse 13. What's our subject? Another John the Baptist. And who is that other John the Baptist? The law of God which prepares us to realize and to receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. Remove the law, no one will feel a need for a Savior. Ecclesiastes 12, let's read verse 13. What does that say? Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Stop. Who wrote those words? Solomon. Under whose direction? The Holy Spirit. We have a double-barrel blessing. Not only was the, he the wisest man who ever lived, but now the wisest man who ever lived is under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. That's double barrel power. Let me add one third barrel. He is writing after years of living and he looks back. You see, age has the benefit of a rear view mirror. Are you following me? You can look back. Solomon looks back from the vantage point of experience. He has the Holy Spirit and God had given him wisdom. And with this triple blessing, that man says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole. What is life all about? Fear God. Understand who he is. Keep his commandments. Finish the verse. This is the whole duty of man. How many commandments are there? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's number one. Is that your duty? Yes or you no? Yes. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Is that your duty? Yes. Given to you by whom? God. Someone may say online or in but why does he always hit the Sabbath? Because that's the one everyone ignores. And sometimes you've got to hit someone with a sledgehammer a few times before this hard thing called a skull will produce a crack to allow a little truth to seep into the brain. You've got to hit and hit and hit. Let's hear the conclusion. In other words, let's cut through the chase, all this talk. What does God want? Recognize who he is. Fear God. Keep his commandments. Why? That's all God requires of you. Or you may say, this is the whole duty of man. And part of the duty of man is keeping the seventh day Sabbath, not the first. Keeping the first day as a Sabbath is not the duty of man. God has a law. That law is life. Let me say it again. While the law is not an instrument of salvation, obedience is life. Are you following me? When God said to Adam of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, 
But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou eatest thereof, or in the day thou disobeyest me thereof, thou shalt surely die. Disobedience is? Obedience is? Let the Bible show that to you. Uh, Romans 6, verse 16. It's already 26 after 8. Another John the Baptist. You know why Christ died on that cross? Because the law was broken. That's the only reason. The law was broken. You have Romans 6, verse 16. Father in heaven, continue to be with me, I pray, please, in Jesus' name, amen. Know ye not. You know, in, in the writings of Paul, he frequently says, don't you know? What? Know ye not? Don't you? He wants people to know. John 17, 3, and this is life eternal that they might know thee. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey. Now, do you see the word there? That four word, that, let, that word with three letters or four letters, what is it? Obey. Listen carefully. Look at the verse microscopically. There are two masters from which to choose. We obey one or the other. Are you listening to me? We choose. Either way, we render each one obedient. Let me make it more blunt and humble you a little bit and myself. You have no choice but to obey. What do I mean by that? It's either God or... Now your choice is to decide which one. That's your choice and mine. Which one? But once we make that choice, the only thing required of us is obey. And so Satan tells you, do what I say. And God tells you, do what I say. Mm -hmm. Now let's read the whole verse in its entirety. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto Sin and death go together. Obedience and righteousness go together because obedience and righteousness are the same thing. They are life. Sin and death are the same thing. Sin has death in it. You cannot remove death from sin. Another John the Baptist. The law of God. The devil has been so successful in attacking God's law he has actually gotten ministers to stand in the pulpit and say there is no law and I have heard them not Adventist preachers please let me say that quickly not Adventist preachers I have heard but others there is no law I heard a preacher say very well known I won't call his name those ten commandments are gone all we need to do is love God love your neighbor you see, when you tell someone with a carnal nature, love God, the person's question is, how? Mm -hmm. Ah, God says, I'm glad you asked. Have no gods before me. Worship no idols. Don't take my name in vain. Keep the Sabbath holy. Then the person, but how do I love my neighbor? Glad you asked, says God. Respect your parents. You know, don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't cover it. 
The Ten Commandments are how we express. That's why the Bible says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Romans 13, 8 to 10. And as I told you a few nights ago, is if love is the fulfilling of the law, for that fulfillment to occur, there has to be a law. You can't fulfill something that doesn't exist. Which means you remove the law, you cannot show love. You simply cannot show love without the law of God. I'll tell you something else about the law of God. This other John the Baptist, as we titled this sermon. Remember the sanctuary. Tell me about it. What's the, did it have a fence all around it? What color? No, the outer, the outer fence. White. The outer fence was white. Representing the righteousness, yes, of Jesus Christ. Was there a gate on entrance of veil in that fence? Yes, to enter into the courtyard. That veil represented, or that gate, Jesus Christ. You come into the courtyard, the biggest thing was the altar of sacrifice representing Jesus Christ. The man brought an animal, the animal represented Jesus Christ. It was brought to the priest, the priest caught the blood, the priest represented Jesus Christ. The blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. The, peace, the priest went into the holy place. Now there's an entrance. That entrance represents Jesus Christ. He goes into the holy place. There's the candlestick. The light of the world is Christ. There's the shoe bread. The bread is Christ. There's the incense. The merits of his righteousness representing Christ. Are you with me? Christ, 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 Christ. Stay with me. Now he goes in on the day of atonement where? The most holy place what's the single thing in there instrument uh furniture the ark now if the altar represented christ if the shoe bread represented christ if the candlestick represented christ if the lamb represented christ and the priest represented christ and the altar of incense represented Christ. What does this, the, the, the ark represent? Christ. But the ark was only important. Why? Because it contained, talk to me, the Ten Commandments. That's why death for touching it. Are you with me? Remember Azza? Poor brother Azza. He touched that ark. And God killed him on the spot. Now, answer me this. Could God have put the law in the outer court? Yes, if he wanted to. Mm -hmm. <coughs> He's God. Could he have put the law in a holy place? Mm -hmm. Where did he put it? What does that tell you about the law? 
Now, the outer court represents what? Justification. You come to Christ, Calvary. The holy place, sanctification. You're growing. The most holy, glorification. You're right in God's lap. And where do we find, what do we find there? The law of God. The law of God in the most holy place. Now the outer court was holy. The holy place was holy. But the most, in other words, you don't get holier than this. Let me put this on you. If Adam had not sinned, would we have needed Calvary? No. Would we have needed a shoe bread? No. The merits of Christ's intercession? No. In other words, if the law had been obeyed, there would have been no need for the sacrificial system. Now you turn that around, the entire sacrificial system was because of the broken law. And when God said, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them, the point, the purpose of the sanctuary was to show how God brings sinners into harmony with his law, which is his character. My brothers and sisters, God's law is as sacred as God himself. God's law is as eternal as God himself. Because if the law is fulfilled in love, and God is love, as long as there has been God, there has been that law. And God has no other standard for you and me than his law. And part of that law says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The Bible is a tough book sometimes. It says if you keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, you're guilty of all. That's, how, that's why you need someone. Because no human being can reach that standard. You need someone and the law tells you there is that man, Jesus Christ. Now, a law is perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect means... Christ, in fulfilling the law, never sinned once. Not in the past, not in the present, not in the future. That is a perfect life. Are you with me? A life with one sin is not perfect. But God requires perfection. Only Christ can provide that. And so when you come to him, when the law sends you to Christ... The law says, go to him, and he will make you consistent with me. And the life he gives you will be a perfect reflection of me. A life with one sin qualifies you for hell as much as a life with a billion sins. I thank God for his law. Somebody say amen. It tells me I need help outside of myself. And that help is Christ. Christ died on that cross because the law was broken. One of the reasons Christ came was to demonstrate to the world that that law could be kept perfectly. And he did it. 
And he offers that perfect life to you when you come to him. So you're covered in his righteousness. And when the father looks, he sees Christ. He sees Christ's life, not yours. No amount of forgiveness can change the fact that you and I sinned once. Forgiveness does not change history. Ah, you didn't get it. If you killed a man in 1927, hmm? and since then you've never done anything wrong, you confess, now you look like the high priest. It does not change the fact that you killed a man in 1927. Are you with me? That applies to all human beings except Christ. No one can say to him, way back, you stole an apple. That perfect life Christ offers to you. But you've got to be in him. And it is the law that lets you know there's nothing you can do to keep me by yourself. You need the energizing power of the life of Christ. And let me end by saying what Paul said. I am crucified with Christ. You know it. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Pause. This is not symbology. This is literal. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Ask God to cover you with that perfect life. How many will say tonight, Father, if I've offended you, forgive me, please. Cover me with the life of Jesus Christ. Can I see your hand? Stand up with me. Then I let you go. Thank you for being patient. Another John the Baptist, the law of God, to wake us up, in a sense, preparing us for the fact we need Jesus. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your law. David said, oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. He loved your law. Psalm 119 verse 97. Dear God, the scriptures say of Jesus, I delight to do thy law, O my God, thy will, O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. This was a prophetic statement about Christ. Your law was in the heart of the human Jesus. It must be in ours. But the law in our hearts is really Christ in our hearts, dear God. Not two different things. Please, God, let us take time to look over your law and allow the purity of that law to convict us that we need Christ and to stay with him, not to visit him, but to stay. Thank you for the law and its convicting power. Thank you for the life that's in the law that's given to us by Jesus Christ. As we leave there, God, let us leave with a hatred for sin and a love for the righteousness of the law of God, which is the very life of Christ. In his name we pray, let God's people say, Amen and Amen. Before you sit, what will you take from the message? Any side, raise a hand. Yes, my dear sister. God's law is sacred as God himself, and his law is eternal, yes. Yes, yes, yes. God's law reminds us, and for some it tells us for the first time, you need a savior because the law has a condemnation. That's death. Yes, my brother. You cannot show love except by obeying the law of God. Yes, Joanna. Tara. 
Yes, the death of Christ shows the importance of God's law. That someone equal with God had to come and pay the penalty for that broken law. Calvary is proof that you must not take the law of God lightly. Yes, my sister. Oh, yes, righteousness is life. What's the other side of that coin? Disobedience. Come on, it's death. Somebody else, what will you take? Yes, sister. God's word does not change because he does not change. God's word doesn't change. No human being can change it. Anybody else? Yes, Tara. Yes. Yes, it is. Yes. My dear sister, I saw your hand. Yes. Yes, yes. Yes, it's a gift. The wages of sin is. But the gift, and that gift is the sinless life of Christ. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Let God's people say, Amen and Amen. God bless you. Travel safely. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org